the part where, where it's sort of a challenge as, as a software company, you know, as we think about the user interface and like who we're designing this for, there's just a, a lot of friction points in the executing on a financial plan for multifamily that I think uh, we need to solve both the the executives and, and sort of the leaders who are coming up with like the analysis and, and the, the action plans that they need to go execute on, but then in a way that's really easy for the onsite team members. And that's where I think we've got an edge just because we've done this before, you know, as former operators. I think the biggest pressure to perform have been in third party, you know, management companies because 30 day notice they can fire you and, and you need to stay competitive. And so, uh, we see that they have a really big need to know what's going on so that they can justify their uh, operational decisions to their you know, clients. Welcome to the Digital Dudes podcast. Today, we are here with myself, David, and Nicole. That's right. We got a guest star here, Reed's on vacation. I think he's in Seattle. or Seattle. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure he's having a good time. Although it's a travel day back, so maybe it's not a good time with him. <laughs> uh, but today we have... Um, one of the founders of Visibly on the podcast, which we had tried to get at NAA, but they were too busy um, to do our little sideline reporting there. So instead, so we got it scheduled for after. So I was very excited to to have our chat today. But what were your biggest takeaways from today's conversation? We kind of hit everything from like their origin story to you know some company building, some culture questions. Um, we talked a lot about like the user experience and solving kind of multiple problems, like how they're solving multiple problems in the platform for different personas. Um, and then just I thought Bryant was a wealth of knowledge on you know his background, having ten years spent in multifamily, um, kind of merging like the financial background with. Um, you know, budgeting and really how he's bringing that and lifting that to visibly. So I thought it was an overall great conversation that we took in many different areas, but ultimately it was a great story. Yeah. I was impressed with how much he's gotten done. Um, and, you know, he and the team have gotten done with just, just over a year um, uh, since the company has been formed yet. I can understand why he made such great progress because he's basically built this to scratch his own itch. The problems he had when he was at Graystar and Steadfast is kind of what gave him the concept to say, hey, let's go ahead, let's build a platform for totally. this. And uh, so I think it's because he he was the target user that it was that he could just tell the engineering team, this is exactly what I need, go build it, versus having to do all this discovery and client, client engagement and such. And he said he had done a lot of that um, um, sort of market validation and discovery even before he started the company, just talking uh, talking to his network. So thought he's he's approached it in a very smart manner. And now it's all about getting distribution, getting people to agree that we need systems for budgeting and forecasting that are better than just Excel. Here's why and here's how, even though, as he said, like the market's been really good recently, it's um, you can still increase your margins even more if you were to adopt a platform you know, like, like they've built it visibly. Yeah. And we didn't get too much into roadmap, but you could tell he has a ton of ideas for the future of the platform, different features that they're building. So I'm really excited to see what they do. Yeah. So what, what, uh, why you should care about a platform like theirs today and uh, maybe this conversation uh, that we had with him is um, right now, budgeting happens once a year, as we all know, kind of like towards the the middle of the prior year to the to uh, through Q3, and then it sort of stays as a stagnant budget. It's very hard to reconcile with real life. You know, um, how are we actually trending against that original budget? And as he said, many people are working at different platforms. So what they're pushing is, hey, get everybody into one platform. Um, use the same dashboard, if you will, so that you're looking at the same data, apples to apples, and then you can quickly make. Uh, uh, data-driven decisions um, so you know to, to improve property performance and you don't need a huge team of you know fpna to get that done anything else about why people should care um no i think we hit it it's a good one okay cool all right well hope you guys enjoy this conversation with visibly welcome brian to the podcast brian why don't you give us uh your background and you know a little bit a little bit about yourself yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Brian Carcamo. I'm the CEO of Visibly. Uh, we make a decision intelligence platform for multifamily that helps connect the dots between uh, operational decision making and financial results. Uh, we make uh, budgeting software and also uh, uh, implement you know AI to help with operational multifamily analysis. Uh, yeah, my background spent about 10 years in the multifamily industry, uh, started as a financial analyst at Graystar and then moved over to an owner managed portfolio called Steadfast, where we grew 
um, from about 5,000 units to 30,000 units uh, over a couple of years. Um, you know, done all kinds of roles in multifamily from, you know, due diligence, underwriting, uh, was like the Excel guy, you know, at, a, uh, at the owner managed company Steadfast. Um, and then my last role was director of revenue management there before I quit my job about two years ago to, you know, start a software company uh, in the space. So yeah, I'm super excited to talk to you guys today about, you know, what, whatever you guys want to talk about here uh, with multifamily. You got to be careful branding yourself as the Excel guy at a company. Mm -hmm. Then next thing you know, mm -hmm. everyone will be coming to you and be like, please fix this formula. And then you own it. <laughs> they did. They definitely <laughs> did do that. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. We, we had a guy we used to work with, Andrew, who became the Excel guy when we were at the post. And I feel like Reed would go to him and he'll still bring him up now. Reed will be like, I wish Andrew was here to just like fix this thing. So um, anyways, yeah, got to be careful about that. Nicole, what uh, would you not want to brand yourself as now? Like if you're going to another company? Ooh, good question. I mean, maybe like the PowerPoint presentation person. Uh, <laughs> um, that's a big pain point for us, especially like being on the client side. We're always fine tuning the PowerPoints and making sure it all matches and the bullets and all of that. So um, I've done a lot of that, but I probably wouldn't want to continue yeah. that moving forward. I would want to be branded as like, um, trying to think of the word, not not worthless, but uh, can't do anything, guy. <laughs> that, that don't, no one don't, goes to you? Yeah, please don't come to me for anything because I can't do anything. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Bryant, so you were at Steadfast uh, for quite a while and uh, had done a lot of, as you're saying, like financial modeling, budgeting, and the like. I'm assuming that's how visibly happened. I'm guessing you're trying to like scratch your own itch. So would you give us like sort of like what what was the catalyst for, for you to do visibly? What frustrations were you running into? Yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a great question. Um, you know, so so yeah, you mentioned about what not to brand yourself as. You know, I was I was the guy at Steadfast where you know everyone came for you know help with some kind of financial modeling question. Certainly, a lot of Excel problems. Um, and you know what I like about multifamily, and I'll give you sort of the long-winded answer here, is that it's it's sort of a place where like. Uh, you know, your people start off like as leasing agents, right? Very like friendly, customer service oriented people. But then, you know, you, you get to a point where sometimes, you know, the the folks on site lack certain like financial or business acumen. You know, you've got like your mom who has to make all these decisions on, you know, like how to use technology the most effective way to maximize the value of a portfolio. And I really saw that there was just a huge disconnect there, you know, because I certainly could spend all my time looking at financial models, but then I would give that to, let's say like a, an assistant manager, a community manager, and it was like, what do I do with this, right? Uh, how, how do I actually put that into action? Um, and really where I, I saw this, um, come to a head was, you know, April 2020 during the lockdown, the pandemic, right? Uh, we were making these huge decisions as to what our rent growth, our occupancy and uh, renewal um, benchmarks needed to be for the quarter. And we basically had like no way to know what GPR was going to be next month, right? Like if I change these operational levers today, what is that going to result in, in some kind of financial outcome in the future without me having to spend like, you know, tons of time you know, extracting data, putting the financial model together, getting input from the on-site staff. And even after we do all of that, you know, it's still hard to know, like, how to actually operationalize that. And so that that's really what the foundation of Visibly uh, really came down to was, like, how do we operationalize financial goals that we have uh, for the properties, you know, from, like, an, an owner, like a, a, you know, property manager, right, a VP and executive who has to come up with these for the, for the customers or for the clients. And then how do we translate that into, you know, bite-sized pieces for the on-site staff? And so that's, that's what we're working on now. You know, my co-founder, Ryan, his mom was a property manager. And so he really sort of understood firsthand how challenging it could be, you know, to work in complicated systems like uh, in Excel, you know, or, or even, you know, the property management systems that we have today. And so he had spent about six years in software product management working at, you know, companies like LinkedIn. And he's like, we need to create just like a whole new operating system for the industry. And so that's really where we're visibly got started. So a um, <clears throat> couple uh, things I want to, I'm super um, excited to, to talk to you about, but one is, uh, let me just recap, like what I've seen in the past is companies will start budgeting in like July or August for the next year. So like they, they might start budgeting now for 24. Then it goes through multiple rounds of revisions and whatever. And a lot of times it's based on last year. It's like, hey, use last year's budget and add 2% or whatever, you know, for inflation or something. Then when it comes into actual practice, the administration of that is super 
well, maybe not, maybe it doesn't even exist. It's just like, hey, you've put this in place and we have these Excel models, but there's no continual follow-up. And so when something happens, well, when life happens, it's hard to know, like, how are we tracking against budget? But then all, obviously if something big like the pandemic happens, it's like, there's no real way to mechanize this. Is that is that fair? And then th where does your system sit in that if that if that is fair like is it the now the source of truth for all of these budgeting and admin, administration or is it more like a forecasting you know type of thing yeah yeah that's that's a great question so you know there's a lot of there's a lot of pieces in the call it financial forecasting landscape that's very broken uh first off certainly i think on acquiring the right inputs right the data that comes out of the property management system primarily that could be a really huge lift for you know, financial analysts, teams that have to do this at scale. The interesting thing apart, about it is that when you're, uh, you know, call it like a mid-sized management company, you know, the budget administrator is like the president of the management company, right? Like they're the ones that have to, that have sort of the most skin in the game to making sure that the financial projections are accurate, but they don't have like a huge FP&A team, right? That can go and spin up all these models or someone like me, right? Who can, who can start putting together all these forecasts and projections. And so we find that to be just like a super inefficient and, and like wasteful, right? Use of time for someone like an executive who has to be more strategic. Um, you know, se secondly, I think another place with friction points is that like you mentioned, after just a few months, right? Like your budget can sometimes get stale because like something in your in your market changed, right? Or uh, there's some kind of issue at the property. Maybe you lost some staff, right? And so you can be really quickly off of budget and it can be hard to know, you know, what should be the right benchmarks then for the teams when, you know, there's probably like not realistic that we we're probably gonna get back on track. And I think in a world where you can sort of grow yourself out of you know many problems, like we've seen in the past 10 years, then who cares, right? Because like, as long as we're paying distributions, like, okay, so we're on or off a budget, uh, you know, that, that might not be the most uh, important piece to, to manage. Maybe that's like the unspoken secret in property management, right? That um, certainly the budgets matter, but you know, the returns are what, what they are, right? And, and as long as we're meeting distribution, that's fine. But now when we're sort of in this new era of, you know, potentially like, you know, decreasing rent growth, right? Higher vacancy loss um, or, or just like the inflation growth that we've seen in many pieces of the PNL from like payroll, insurance, et cetera, right? We're starting to see, I think, just margins like decrease for, you know, the property management organization, certainly for the returns of the portfolios. And so in a time where you need to be really tactical, like now's when you want forecasting to be really streamlined, right? So that you could really figure out which which are the markets that are really resulting in, you know, great results for the portfolio. Where can we like really like get returns out of the properties that are doing well and the ones that aren't doing well, you know, how can we actually like figure out which operational levers we want to push, pull on to meet those return objectives. And I think, you know, it, it really depends on the kind of portfolio that you have, um, you know, and the kind of financing you have on the properties. Certainly that's been a big topic in the past, you know, couple of years or sorry, in this past year. Uh, we see a lot of owners switch from call it like rent growth focused strategies to cash flow focused strategies, right? Where you have to meet minimum distributions, make sure you're not defaulting on your debt. Um, those are going to be, I think, uh, issues that many owners are going to be facing over the next 18 months. And that's where our software comes in to streamline, you know, many pieces of that, of that uh, flow from, you know, creating the financial plan and the strategy for the portfolio, but then also forecasting where you're going to end up so that, you know, you know, where you can, uh, you know, uh, pull on your operations. So would you then say uh, people today are handling this via Excel and then, but there's not, are, or are there other options that companies are using, you know, in property management to handle this? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So I think on the, on the creating, you know, kind of like a financial strategy, uh, certainly I think most folks do this in Excel. Um, even large companies uh, tend to use this, do, you know, everyone's got some kind of budget template that they're using, right, for, for their forecast. Uh, but certainly outside of the budget process directly, right, a lot of analysts will put together financial models, right, in Excel. And, and that could have its own, you know, form of challenges whenever you have to spin one of these up. Um, what we do see is that, you know, folks use some kind of combination of Excel, reports out of the property management system. Maybe you've got like a BI solution where you do trend analysis or, you know, sometimes like you're downloading reports out of like CoStar or any kind of other, you know, market benchmarking studies so that you can come up with these projections uh, moving forward. So, so it's quite a big mix and depends, I think, on the sophistication of, 
the customers. The, the ones where we see, I think, the biggest pressure to perform have been in third-party, you know, management companies because, you know, 30-day notice, they can fire you and, and you need to stay competitive. And so uh, we see that they have a really big need to know what's going on so that they can justify their uh, operational decisions to their, you know, clients. And so we're, we're certainly see a lot of folks ask us for, you know, help in, in that regard uh, from that group. Yeah, I'm more thinking about your sales process and your target because uh, what we found is when we came out with Fiona, everyone loved it, but they were like, shoot, I don't have a line item for this right now. And so it, you know, it was like moving mountains to get them to buy our predictive and forecasting software. And so if most of your folks are using Excel today or a combination, like smattering of reports put together, which basically ends up being Excel, I could see you guys being challenged to find for someone to find the budget to use it because it's not like they're, Oh, this is better than that other thing. So let me buy this instead. Instead, they got to create a budget for it. So is that true or is it way less challenging than that for you guys? Because it's such a, a pain point. Yeah. It, so, so I think if you would have asked me a year ago, it might've been a different answer, you know, today with, um, you know, the advent of, or call it the adoption of generative AI and all the things we're seeing with like chat GPT and, and ways in which you could train a model to, to be sort of like an AI co-pilot for your operational and financial decisions and multifamily. You know, that's what we work on, uh, you know, trying to maximize the effectiveness of that new technology. Um, yeah, I, I certainly I certainly see a consolidation of the tech stack around analytics uh, really occurring, right? So when before you used to have, you know, your financial analysts that use BI, and then you try to sort of explain that to your onsite teams who may or may not adopt those recommendations, that can be a really big challenge just from like a user interface standpoint. And also the onsite teams sometimes aren't the best data analysts, right, to present this information to. And so that's where we're seeing generative AI bridge that gap really closely. And we get a lot of folks excited about the technology that we're building. Okay. Well, um, I got two, two last things before I'll let Nicole get a word in here. Um, one is if, um, I guess anytime that you have a, you, you mentioned operating system before to us, anytime that you're becoming someone's operating system, it feels like a huge amount of friction to end up for someone to make that choice to roll it out, let alone like adopt it and it become part of the process. So is, is there more of an easy entry where you're like, hey, just use our system visibly for this thing, and then it's like you guys land it and they can expand it? Or do they really need to just adopt the whole thing across the board in order to get the value or see the value and for you guys to get traction? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's a great that's a good question. So what we find today is that you know large and small owners today create what we're calling action plans and some kind of manual process, right? So a lot of companies will have something like a Monday report that they put together and that's how they get everyone aligned on the different operational goals that they want to go and tackle week after week. That alone has a ton of problems just because it's very manual and takes a ton of time to put together and there's basically no accountability. And so our software is replacing certain workflows like that, you know, like consolidating some of that reporting um, and also just uh, making it a lot easier to coordinate on the specific action items that you want to, uh, go and tackle, uh, you know, in any, any given week. And the things that we're sort of working to move that forward is in a recommendations engine. You know, basically our AI will read the financial and operational data and then provide practical recommendations to the teams so that way you don't have to wait for your Monday meeting to be able to go take action today on whatever operational issue you have at the property. Um, and so, you know, for us, it's like we're looking for customers that, yeah, it's not for everyone. You know, it certainly requires, I think, a, a certain level of, uh, need for you to be very tactical with your real estate. So the, the kind of properties that we onboard are like the problem properties. Like I need to turn this around in the next 90 days. Like I need all the help I can get because I've got like two open positions and my regional manager is doing like the best they can. You know what I mean? Um, and, and so I think as we get through those use cases, right, we're, we're sort of a, a new company uh, starting to get more and more information about how people will actually use the software. Um, I think that'll help us, you know, with go to market and expanding uh, the strategy to to other use cases. So it sounds like they don't have to roll it out to the portfolio to start. They can test it on something, show show success, and then move from there. Mm -hmm. And then as far as that uh, success point, um, is it more of like the, 
I guess is the aha moment that Monday morning report or not even, uh, I guess not even producing the Monday morning report. Cause you mentioned action items. I could just imagine like people struggle uh, from what we've seen with our stuff is like, if we give them like uh, a platform to log into, they get recommendations. They just won't. I mean, maybe they will when it's like that the property's on fire, but then they'll quickly forget about it and like the pain it solved them. So we almost have to like give them, Hey, here's what to do. And by the way, we already did it in order for them to have the aha moment to be like, oh shoot, yeah, it's working for me. But if it just gives, it tells them what to do, we were experiencing the fact that most people saw it as extra homework and they're like, well, shoot, I'm already so busy. I don't have time to do even more homework. So it was almost like, it almost backfired on us because our, you know, our machine would be recommending things and then they see it as extra work. And they're like, shoot, now that I see, now that I see it, I can't unsee it, but I also don't want to buy it for more properties because then I'm going to see even more problems than I think I have today and uh, just stress me out more. So. I guess I'm asking that aha moment. Is it the Monday report or is it something else that, that, that really gets people to latch on? We're, we're seeing the aha moments happen really um, in the coordination between what we call like corporate services departments. So certainly, right, we want the onsite teams to go and execute on action plans, but there's a lot of friction and just the communication between someone like a revenue manager who's looking at pricing information an asset manager who's like trying to figure out whether they're going to make the distributions or not. Uh, a VP who just wants to know, right, where the availability is falling off a cliff and what they should do about it. A lot of strategy gets created at the corporate office between email, text, and all these, you know, different systems. Um, and so it's good to get kind of the meeting of the minds uh, on our platform because you've got one place where you could see those recommendations and then just assign action items, right, to the rest of the teams. Um, so, so I think that's really... You know, the part where, where it's sort of a challenge as, as a software company, you know, as we think about the user interface and like who we're designing this for, there's just a, a lot of friction points in the executing on a financial plan for multifamily that I think uh, we need to solve both the the executives and, and sort of the leaders who are coming up with like the analysis and, and the, the action plans that they need to go execute on. But then in a way that's really easy for the onsite team members. And that's where I think we've got an edge just because we've done this before, you know, as former operators. Yeah. Well, Nicole, he, he mentioned like ha everybody have it, looking at the same dashboard. I feel like that's a, a pain that you've, and we've all felt like a lot where we're all looking at different dashboards and things. So I don't know if you want to. Yeah. My questions um, when that came up for me, when you were talking through that is just how do you guys approach like the training and making sure that you have these power users? Cause it seems like um, you're servicing multiple different uh, personas and segments and you probably have those folks that are in there every day. You know, they get it, but you also have to service to your point, maybe some of the on-site staff who's not always um, in some of these systems. So how do you handle the training from an onboarding perspective for the platform? Yeah, the, the training is just so critical because that's how, you know, we make sure that we've got happy customers that refer us, you know, and more customers. Uh, certainly on the budgeting side, you know, folks have found it super easy to work in the system. We, we you know, our kind of internal joke is we designed this for Ryan's mom, you know, hashtag Ryan's mom she's just <laughs> sitting out there, you know, which is basically like you know, big buttons and like easy to read formulas on plain English, you know, um, but, but obviously like with the power tools for, um, you know, someone like me, right. Who'd have to do this at scale to be able to do that. Um, so I think a lot of the UI is centered around that. Uh, yeah. I mean, for the training, it's like, you know, last year, for example, we did like we went to budget boot camps. You know, we actually went to you know where they actually did the training. We talked to the staff. A lot of companies do it in a very similar way, where they huddle everyone together and they coordinate on strategy for the next year. Um, and so, you know, we we started to try to meet the customers where they're at. I think uh, as we grow, you know, we can't go to every budget boot camp, so we added you know little things like a chat icon, you know, where you can come and chat us uh, directly in there. Um, and then we've got, I think we certainly spend a ton of time on training the different modules to each persona. So a budget admin will need a lot different functionality than let's say like a community manager who needs to know just how to like enter the data in the system, get in get, and get out. Because the goal of a budget process is to get everyone to focus on, on the budget for a concentrated period of time and then get them back to work, right? And so we try to make everything as efficient as possible there. Totally. Yeah, the goal would be to not have to, you know, maybe service the, the clients as heavily. Um, so do you guys have certain timeframes where it's like, okay, during onboarding, we're going to, you know, hold your hand and do calls once a week or, you know, whatever that looks like, and then eventually get it to be more self-serve or what have you found is more real world in the industry? Yeah, real world has been, I think, for budget season to add 
extra availability during budget season, you know? Um, and, and I think just because it's in our DNA to, to be part of a budget process and to go through that, you know, um, as, as sort of the person who, who led the, the budget process at Steadfast, um, we certainly have a ton of sympathy for the folks who are going through it, right? And I think it's really about responding quickly, right? Providing like real solutions for how you'd want to model something, for example. And then if we don't have sort of the, the answer directly in the product, you know, we certainly can cook something up really quickly and offer sort of like a workaround as we develop more of the feature set uh, and budgeting. We've got, I think probably like, 99% of it covered, you know, just because we, we did that before and it's our background, um, but certainly we're always learning more, yeah, from the users as as we just see just the different um, situations that multifamily is going through now, right? Like uh, like I mentioned before, um, I think the, big, the biggest need is really in generating enough cash to meet your distributions. And that's not really, I think, some place where multifamily has really had to focus on. So it's about like which operational leverage do I pull to, to meet my investment return goals, you know, for next year. Awesome. And that probably gives you guys more of, you know, positioning you as the strategic consultant, which is basically our business model is being that consultant when it comes to your marketing. And so through that, then you get more referrals. And really, if you can ingrain yourself in their budgeting process, then you're almost seen, I would assume, as an extension of their team. Like they want you there to help guide them through that process. So that's awesome. Yep, that's right. And it's also just an interesting a place from a data perspective, you know, certainly we don't share any data, right, with, with anyone else other than just kind of our own, our own internal uh, training of models, right, and as we think about it. But it has been interesting to see just expense growth, I mean, really go off the page in so many different uh, P&Ls, you know, throughout the properties. Insurance is certainly uh, really painful to budget for, you know, uh, taxes in certain jurisdictions is really crazy. Uh, staffing, also payroll has been uh, another one that we've been just tracking the year-over-year -year growth. So so we'll see, I guess, how the multifamily industry responds to all of these pressures, you know, on the expense side. Um, and, and we're obviously, I think, thinking about just different solutions to help solve those pain points, especially around insurance. Um, you know, even just like I was looking at a couple of deals the other day, and, you know, they budget like, 3% year over year rank growth, you know, on a performa for insurance, uh, sorry, for insurance specifically. And I just thought like, there's just no way. So I, I really wonder how the multifamily industry, especially like on the syndication side will, you know, adjust to kind of the, the really high inflation that we're seeing uh, for multifamily. Yeah. Being in the industry for 10 years, do you have like that example and that pain point where you're like, I'm never going to make that mistake again? Or um, so I attended the NAA budgeting session and there was all these stories around like, OK, it was due on a Monday and Friday. We had to like pull an all nighter to update because someone didn't save the Excel. So there's always something I feel like when it comes to like the deadlines in the industry. Um, so I'm curious if you have your own personal story that maybe left a scar. <laughs> Man, you know, budgeting is just such a team effort. You know, I think a lot of times companies sort of leave it till the end and they, they think they could just sort of crank it out in a week. But, you know, in our experience, the best budgets get created when everyone collaborates and there's sort of like a coordinated way to, to fill them in. And so I think uh, supporting like multi-user, you know, data entry is really important in any budget process. And so that we don't have like any bottlenecks, right? When folks are trying to get their numbers in. Um, other things that, that I remember really paid dividends for us was making sure that your CapEx strategy is, you know, determined ahead of time, right? So that you don't sort of load in $30 million worth of CapEx and you realize you only got 10, you know, and suddenly you got to go and, and redo all these like rent growth assumptions. So, so I think those are really great. Um, the faster you can put together a CapEx strategy, you know, the better. But certainly I think, you, you know, a lot of folks wait until the end because that's when they know which projects you know might really make it right on the budget um and then the last the last recommendation i would give is you know you want to budget early but you don't want to budget too early right because your actuals come in and suddenly you have to like reforecast the whole thing and, and you know it could potentially be november and you've got so like numbers from august and and that could also lead to a ton of data inaccuracies when you start in january and so i think uh, it's sort of this mix of like you want to do it early but not too early and if you're gonna do it you want to be able to refresh the data really quickly right so that you can go and do the quick reforecast and so that's why i think you know software like ours really helps address that pain point because we've got those data integrations with the property management systems um but it can definitely be a lot of work if you don't have something like that you know ready to go and set up for your organization
Uh, Brian, I have a hot take, and I would you can push back on me on this. And yeah. I can't wait to get your own hot takes. So um, I, Ryan, who's our head of finance here, I've pushed back on him and Reed before because they're like, oh, we got to do 2023 budget or 2024 budget. And I'm like, cool, that is good for like 30 days. And it's nice to like look at or whatever. But then every year we've been outgrowing and outpacing our budget. And so I said, what is the what is the point of us spending? You know, Ryan spends over 100 hours like pulling it together. So what is the point of doing that just like arbitrarily in Q3, Q4 for the next year versus like having an always live, I'll say like, um, I don't even want to call it budget, but just like an always live um, financial model or something like basically doing it once a year seems very arbitrary to me versus doing it like continually updating it over time. So I could see that maybe being different with uh, a property. Because with the property, you want it to, it's supposed to be, a lot of people invest in them as if they're like a bond or some sort of stock or something. They just want the free cash flow. But um, you obviously now are at a young startup. So I'm wondering if you think of it differently, or would you agree with me that there's not a lot of value <laughs> in doing this annual budgeting process that maybe we should be uh, doing it differently? Even with the controversial opinion, I like it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the issue is that you know, by the management agreement, they're due, right? So so even if you didn't want to do it, you still got to do it anyway, right? Because uh, the management company owes it to the asset manager. So it's really just about doing it as quickly as possible, as accurate as possible, and then get everyone back to managing the property. So it's a little different in the multifamily context, certainly. Uh, there's a lot of benefits, I think, to doing rolling forecasts, which is what, what you're talking about, which is, hey, let's just budget year-round, right? And so... The key there is really to set modeling assumptions for different parts of your GNL. So as the new actors come in, they'll be forecast automatically, right? And so you don't spend a ton of time in the, you know, maybe gray the details. Um, and, you know, I think for the most, the more sophisticated, you know, I think owners, um, I think probably like a regular reforecast quarterly, maybe semi-annually, where you are doing kind of extra steps other than like the automatic projection will help you just get a little bit more accurate. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I like that you agree with me here because I think rolling makes a lot more sense and uh, or doing this quarterly reforecast thing that you're talking about. Whenever this when it's annually, it's just not frequently enough frequent enough for me for for you to adapt. And then when you want someone to adapt another department or some opportunity comes up, it's like they freak out because they're like, "Oh, shoot, it's not September." I, I don't uh and I don't want our finance team or any other finance team just also like wasting a bunch of administrative effort though, doing it like every month, for example. So it's, for me, it's more about how do you make it more of a, a continual part of your cycle without over, you know, going like all the way to zero-based budgeting or something. So um, that's why I was asking. And so um, I guess I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you guys do it for your own company at Visibly. Do you do it any different than you would have done it for a property or is it, you know, very similar? Yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, I think a budget of financial projection is your North Star, right? Because that tells you where you need to spend more money, you know, like how much, you know, returns or growth do I need on, you know, my revenue, for example, to be able to make a difference, you know, for the portfolio. So we certainly do that often here, just because obviously that's something that we did in the multifamily. Um, and we apply that same logic here. But I think for, for properties that are running into problems, I think this is exactly where you'd want to do extra focus on your financials, right? So uh, just to give you an example, it, it, it's sort of like if you're running into a rent problem, right? It's like, do we push on the on renewals? Do we want to just shoot for a higher renewal percentage, right? And, and save some of the cash on the turnover. And how many renewals do I need to be able to get to, you know, my the NOI targets like that? And so if I'm going to shoot for renewals, you know, like, uh, what's what's the rent growth assumptions I want to shoot for, and how do I actually operationalize, you know, uh, for this next upcoming expirations that are happening? And so all these decisions need to be done, you know, I think uh, uh, really quickly because every two weeks you got to send out new renewal letters, right? And so the sooner you can come up with your financial plan, the sooner you can direct your staff to go and go and, uh, and execute on it. And I think that's why it's really good to have in you know, the software. I think especially for for multifamily where you know, millions of dollars in portfolio value depend on whether someone signs $50 more on the renewal lease. I mean, it's just crazy, right? Like, uh, just because of the way capital works. Um, and so I think uh, it's one of those industries where 
you know, everything's made on incremental improvements to NLI. And so this is why you want to be like extra detailed with the ones that I think are causing you problems. Cool. Well, uh, I have two, two more things I want to get into before giving uh, Nicole another chance. Um, one is um, how, how flexible is your system versus how versus like sort of forcing people one direction? So I say that because there's there's systems like I view this like uh, software similar to yours like Mosaic and some of these others that have come out more for that hit general purpose companies versus property management. And some of those systems are very specific um, where they're like, hey, you got to enter in this input and you got to and you'll get this output or like whatever. And others let you build custom formulas and blah, blah, blah. Like, but you have to basically almost like learn their language for their system. It's kind of Nicole's point. Then you have to really develop a power user, but it's a lot to ask of somebody to like learn a new language effectively to, to build something. And obviously it, if you force them into a box, then you may be like, um, you may be shutting out some of the, some, some potential targets. Cause they're like, I don't want to adapt to your box. I want to do it this way. Cause a lot of people in property management seem to you know, like to sort of puff out their chest and say, hey, we don't do it the typical way. We do it our way and this is why it's better. But then if you go the other way where you make it super flexible so that those people can be customers, there's more potential for someone to break something or for it to go awry or something. And then them almost blame the software saying, oh, this effing software is like causing all these problems. It's like, no, it's just because of the way you, you built it and you didn't follow best practice. So long-winded way to ask, is it super open and flexible or is it more locked down or somewhere in between? I Yeah, that, that's a good question. I think you want it open and flexible in, in some areas, and then you want it to just be pretty straightforward in others, right? So just to give an example, what you want to do is we wanted to make it open and flexible for importing things like different data sources, right? Obviously, not everything's going to be in your property management system. You know, there's a ton of data that lives in your payroll system. Live in Excel, you're just going to have different, I think, data sources that you want to uh, put into into uh, the context of budgeting, for example. And so in that sense, we made it very flexible to be able to import those data sources. I think uh, on the specific workflows for figuring out, you know, how to budget for it, you want that to be like very straightforward, right? You want the, the on-site teams to just like know exactly where to go to enter their assumptions, right? And, and then you want power tools for budget admins to, if I need to override everything, I can do that with two clicks. And so in that sense, we made it just like, uh, you know, specific for the multifamily use case. And we think that that's a winning combo, I think, for getting through a budget season as efficiently as possible. You know, when we were first making it, we thought like, let's make TurboTax for multifamily property budgeting, you know? Uh, and we think that that's, that's the best approach to making this like super complicated, you know, FP&A tool, you know, like another BI solution sort of for multifamily. Uh, because also I think we, you know, the customers just aren't there, you know, we think on something like budgeting. Most multifamily companies, right, are, you know, four to 6,000 units, right? Like you don't have a giant IT team to do this crazy implementation. You need something out of the box, ready to go. If you've got like 50,000 units, you probably already have a whole fp team and maybe like software like that. We really go after, I think, uh, mid-market companies that just need to do the most with what they've got. Um, well, that that's super helpful uh, context for me. So last question there uh, would be, if someone layers in something like, hey, we're going to host an event or we're going to put in this um, this marketing spend on this thing or this sponsorship, does it spit out an assumption or does someone have to put in an assumption, I guess, where it's like, hey, by spending 10 grand on this event, we're going to get three more leases out of it? Because I'll say that that's where our team has struggled. Even I mean, we do use Mosaic just uh, to be open, but uh, they, they will be like, ah, we had another 40,000. Uh, we're going to Optech and we're going to spend 40,000. And then they don't layer in any assumptions from growth, like revenue growth from that. And we'll, and then they'll be like, look how far off budget we are. And it's like, well, shouldn't we expect something to come out of that investment that we just made? And it goes beyond marketing. It, it could go to anything. And so I'm just wondering how, how that gets handled in your system. Yeah, yeah. So, so we do have analytics at the GL level that will tell you things like year-over-year growth, right? Um, uh, how much of your budget remains, uh, what are some of the trends that we're seeing uh, for the account? So certainly I think, uh, you know, folks can look at that to figure out whether their assumptions are reasonable or aggressive or conservative. Um, we also have another feature on the reporting side where uh, you can do your monthly variance analysis uh, through us. Um, and, you know, variance analysis is sort of like a 
not something that people I think often think about, but it can be just a huge time sink for the staff to go and look at their financials and then comment right in each account, you know, how they've been doing. Uh, and so what our system does is it reads the assumptions that you put in for your budget and then it tells you, you know, why it is that you're off of your budget you know, in any given month. So for example, if you, you know, you were estimating 20 move outs, right, uh, for your apartment clean line item, and you ended up with, uh, you know, 25, then the system automatically tells you in a narrative explanation, you know, how many new outs uh, you did uh, over what you assumed in your budget. And so little things like that, you know, on the aggregate can, can result in a ton of time savings. And I think, uh, you know, I think the next phase in budgeting is really, can we just produce a budget forecast for all the P&Ls without requiring so much of the data uh, input, almost like with AI? That's the kind of things that I think we're, we're interested in exploring now. Yeah, well, what you just described is great for reporting on things that happened or that were different, that were variant. But what about on the forecasting side? So very easy example. We have customers that have a gold package on apartments.com, and they're like, hey, next year we're layering in the diamond package. So would you then – would they then say, hey, by doing a diamond package, I'm expecting two more leases a month? Or would you guys say, hey, maybe expect two more leases a month? How you know, what would actually happen? Yeah, yeah. So, so that's another product that we're working on. And, and we haven't released something like that yet. But but we are working on something like that where it would give you sort of day-to-day -day recommendations on different parts of your operational decision-making um, where where it would do so, some of that break-even analysis. Yep. Got it. Yeah, no, that's helpful. I was wondering that this is why I mean it when I think operating system, there's so many different tools mm -hmm. where it's like, is it really yeah. you get everything or you get different things? But yeah, I, I feel like reporting and forecasting are so closely tied together that mm -hmm. the lines get very blurred and then different systems provide different um, hit different areas of that. Like, okay, is it really historical? Is it current or is it forecast? And uh, it's hard to know which of these systems is really doing like what they do really well versus where, where they still have room to grow. So that uh, that's helpful. Just context to think about. It's, yeah. it's another product you guys are working on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think there's kind of two sides to that. There's, you know, what I'm calling like a, call it like micro optimization of your workflows on site. Certainly there's a ton of products that will try to do that, you know, for different, things like your renewal strategy or your marketing automation, things like that. Um, and then there's like the day-to-day -day reporting that you've got to do for your property so you know what to do about it. We're trying to bridge that gap, you know, between what are all the things that you're already micro-optimizing in different parts of your operations? And then how do we combine that with financial outcomes, right, that you want to hit? Um, and so we're building, uh, you know, a tool set around that so that folks who have a portfolio of, you know, let's say 10,000 apartments can really easily create those financial plans, but then you can still rely on the th on your existing tech stack, right, to go and implement those. Cool. Well, my questions are more kind of switching gears a little bit to like the company building side of things. You mentioned the origin story, but I just love talking to other founders about timing. Like the timing is so important. The timing, you know, for you, for Ryan, for the market, how did you know the timing was right to leave steadfast and start visibly? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, first off, I called a hundred property managers <laughs> and I asked them, you know, I was like, how do you do this? Like, how do you do your budgets? Is like, is it just me, you know, who have been struggling with this issue at Steadfast and certainly, you know, got a lot of folks to talk about their specific pain points and experiences and thought that there was certainly an opportunity to introduce just an innovative way to, to, to do this right for multifamily. Um, so that helps a lot. I, I would say before you quit your job, talk to people, you know, and, and see whether that's the right opportunity. Um, you know, secondly, I think I look at what everyone else looks at, you know, the, the secular fundamentals for multifamily, a huge housing shortage, tons of capital going into the deals, right? And basically what everyone's saying, 10 to 15, maybe 20 years of sustained growth in multifamily until, you know, Gen Z retires. So I think broadly as an industry, I, I find it incredibly compelling to not just go in, you know, for potentially like investments, but also ways to make, you know, the industry, I think a lot more efficient uh, and improve that. So I think whatever market cycles we're in now, like I'm still long-term bullish on, you know, everything that's going on, I think for the multifamily industry. Yeah. And then third, you know, I just thought there's always going to be a job in real estate. I can always just go back to real estate, you know? So, so for me, it wasn't risky at all. It was just like, yeah, let's just go pursue a big dream. And if I can inspire people to, go work on this with me for a few years even like 
that would be a huge win and, and a big, I think, opportunity for growth. Um, and certainly that's been the case. It's really awesome to watch a PhD work on budgeting, you know, like how to solve the budgeting problem when this used to live on my laptop, you know what I mean? And, and so it's awesome collaborating with, I think, uh, folks on our team, you know, who are just like these experts in like AI and machine learning, like think about the multifamily industry when I think about, you know, the folks I used to work with and, and how I think um, how much technical analysis we can bring into to this industry that's basically still working off of, you know, a lot of heuristics like, yeah, we should budget, you know, a thousand per door, you know, for, for some expense line item. Man, there's so much more that we can do. And that's what I'm excited about doing it. That's awesome. That's super cool. You mentioned the team. I think that's one of the most rewarding things, you know, in our experience has been growing and developing the team. It seems like people and culture are super important to to you guys. Um, I know some of your core values are like adopting a growth mindset and going the extra mile. How do you think about building the team and the culture in the first few years? Yeah, that that I think, you know, especially at our phase, it's like every single person who comes into Visibly it just plays such a critical role, right? Because uh, we were trying to build a massive business, right? That helps solve really big uh, pain points for multifamily owners, investors, property managers. Uh, so certainly I think we've got a really strong commitment to making sure that everyone has uh, the right sort of like skill set and contributes to the, you know, right now it's like very code oriented, right? It's like, we need to build really innovative technology here. Um, and so, so that they certainly set a really high bar for all the developers that come into Visibly. But I think at the same time, it's really important for us to just have that, I think, just deep empathy for the users that use our software, right? And, and, and like, I, you know, I did due diligence for about five years with Setfast, got to travel to the South, the Southeast, like, well, I grew up like in... Uh, in uh, Long Beach area, you know, the Bay Area. Certainly had never thought I'd go to like, you know, Lexington, Kentucky, you know, for example. And I think just from all the travel, kicking the tires on the real estate, it just made me really appreciate the kind of people that work there, you know, and uh, and how, um, how we need to make tools that just make their lives a lot easier because they deal, you know, as an industry, right, with hundreds of millions of residents, right? Like uh, our, our, our industry serves, everyone who needs housing, you know, and, and I just find that to be like an incredibly compelling reason to want to be in the multifamily industry, um, you know, from class A and luxury all the way to affordable housing. You know, I remember being at, at one of the, comp uh, one of our properties in Atlanta um, that had a really heavy, like a uh, uh, immigrant population. And it's like 8 a.m. There's like a hundred kids outside waiting for the bus, you know, and I just thought about how important it was that, you know, our business helps supported, you know, all of those families, right? And all those people there. And so I think it's it's a combination of just like, let's make really great technology in a time where it's it's sort of uh, really amazing to introduce things like AI and machine learning to the industry, but at the same time, in a way that serves, right, normal people who are just trying to raise their families and, you know, pursue whatever dreams in a way that's, you know, safe and, uh, you know, reliable, right? Housing is just such an important, you know, part of uh, of everyone's lives. And so I'm glad that we get to contribute even just a small part there. Totally. Are you finding that you have to um, spend a lot of time upfront, like training and teaching people multifamily? Because that was one of our challenges. We either hired people from the industry and taught them digital marketing, or we hired expert digital marketers and taught them multifamily. And there's, you know, pros and cons to each. Um, but that is definitely, it's almost like, you have to do a crash course within the industry. Are you are you finding that as a challenge or what's been your experience there? Yeah, so, so luckily we've been able to bring on folks that uh, worked at other prop tech companies as well. So the so learning curve hasn't been uh, so steep. Um, certainly I think on the, on the data side, that part's been, I think more straightforward for them. It's like, how do we get the data out of these systems? You know, they're used to working with super, super large data sets. So I think for them, it's it's more frustration on trying to get data out and, you know, doing really interesting things for them. Uh, but for like someone like our designer, it's like we put them in like right with, you know, the managers, the regional managers, like learning all their different workflows. We flew out, like I mentioned, to some of the budget boot camps, you know, and got to meet a lot of the staff. Uh, so I think for, for them, they find it really interesting to, to really shadow them, right. And train them, um, from the multifamily perspective. Yeah. Awesome. Well, last question for me, and then I'll pass it back to David is just around like operational efficiency. Um, obviously that's what your platform does. How do you think about that in terms of the business? Like what systems and processes are you putting in place now to help scale and make the business as operationally efficient as possible? 
You mean my personal business? Or, or yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, certainly doing a, a deep dive on marketing, right? And all the marketing analytics that you can do. Um, I think it's a really interesting time to be a prop tech company just with uh, how much money has gone into the space to help optimize different uh, pieces of real estate, right? Not just in multifamily, but like commercial real estate. I think all these things that are happening, I think in, in the office space are going to be really interesting from a technology standpoint to see how we can help recover some of the, some of the losses, right, that are, are happening over there. Um, and I think for, for us, we are excited to just follow the fundraising environment, right, I, I think as it picks up uh, into PropTech. So, so something that, that we work on is like, yeah, how do we, uh, you know, break the mold of like, you know, having, having people, you know, purchase technology in a way that doesn't drain a ton of resources, you know, for them. So, so just for example, right, like, uh, companies today, they've only got like three to four implementations per year that they could do, right, for a lot of uh, technology spend, um, just because of how stressful it is to go through something like an integration. And so, you know, as we work on integrating all these different data sources, it's like, how can we create products in the future that might make that process just a little bit easier for folks? Um, and, and even just the way people find us, you know, like, I think this industry has been so focused on conferences, certainly that's still, I think, a big source to meet people. But this is just like a better way to go and, and you know, meet other technologists and folks that want to do interesting things in the space. So some things that we, we've been liking is like a, a multifamily demo day. I think uh, Multifamily Insiders has like a, a whole little group that they've, they've been starting. So we're just trying to get plugged in, you know, to LinkedIn and see, you know, how we can meet other like-minded people, you know, that, that are interested in the technology that we're building. Yeah, it's awesome. It's like you kind of have to be at some of the big conferences, um, but really a lot of those smaller events help more networking and then the referrals come. Um, so yeah, you kind of have to be in both places. But I thought your team crushed it at NAA. Um, I think that's where we first stumbled upon you guys. But um, some really smart marketing tactics, you know, um, ter in terms of where your team was positioned at certain uh, sessions. And I thought it was really fun. Oh, thank you for that. You know, it's guerrilla tactics over here. Check the as much fast yeah. fast. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah, ask forgiveness. I love that you said uh, that you think about it in three to four rollouts a year for a company, because I think that's where a lot of other founders in this industry get it sort of mess up. They're like, oh, well, we're only X, X dollars and we're going to return 4X that or whatever. Why won't they buy? And they get so frustrated. It's like, because they can only handle X amount of organizational yeah. change in a year. And it's like, you know, this industry has been, you know, a bit behind others, other similar industries. So therefore, is your product whatever company really like one of the top three that they need to replace yeah. this year <laughs> or are there bigger fish to fry? So I love that you're thinking about it in, in that context. Um, all right. Well, I have just a couple of quick ones to wrap up here and then, you know, if there's anything we missed, Brian, but uh, one is you, you guys do quite a bit on your blog and uh, you mentioned um, and you sort of hinted at it earlier where it's like, Hey, in, in the good times in real estate, as long as people are getting their distributions, they don't really care. Or it's sort of like, it's, it, we used to hear from our old CEO at the post, he said, revenue solves all problems. I kind of take it that way. It's like dividend solves all problems. So it's like, even if your budget was way off, if I got my dividends and it was what it was expected, what do I care? So um, where I'm going with that is that's saying in the good times. And then you also said you're very bullish on what this industry is going to do over the next couple of decades. But do you see over the next couple of decades there being any sort of, you know, quote, downturn or down times? Or do you think it's going to still be pretty gravy, you know, for for multifamily over the next few years? Yeah, that, I mean, that's that's a question. I mean, I think I think a lot of it depends on, you know, which markets and where you are. Right. Certainly, it's hard to imagine that even with like, you know, all of the supply in Austin, that that's going to be a, a bad market to be in, you know, over the next 20 years, right? Uh, it's hard to imagine that rents would go down there, you know, or like in Dallas, for example. Um, but, you know, it's like, I sometimes do wonder like, hey, well, uh, you know, the insurance market just really collapsing in Florida. Will that really detract people from, you know, building, you know, large scale projects there? Certainly hasn't slowed down, right? Like you still see a ton of uh, development. Tampa is a really great market. Um, that, that we've been looking at, North Carolina, right? Like there's a ton of uh, room for, for growth and opportunities. Um, the, the things that I think about a lot, David, are, you know, as, as different waves come, like in technology and, and market dynamics, you know, is, is there a, basically like a different way to run like a property management organization? You know, like uh, just to give you an example. So, so we've been thinking about how you could potentially scale up the regional manager team right? Like, can they manage, you know, more properties? And like, what kind of technology or tools would they need to be able to 
manage more and more properties? Like, can they manage 20 properties? You know, like, can they manage 30 properties? Like, you know, cause right now it's like, we had a rule, which was like, uh, let's give them six, you know, 3000 units, <laughs> you know, like one per 3000 units. It was like, everyone, everyone's got like their own little ratio. Right. And so then I was thinking like, okay, so suppose you, you, you had tools that help them have 10,000 units, 15,000 units for regional managers. Certainly that's going to be returns on operating margin for the property management company, right? And already what are thin margins for property managers, you know, with three to 6% uh, fee on the revenue, right? But then I thought like, okay, but suppose that you take that same technology, but you made it in such a way that like a community manager, you know, can manage more properties. Maybe this is like the centralization piece, right? Where a lot of companies are starting to centralize their operations. Well, isn't it better to have the community managers manage more properties because their payroll comes from the properties? Right. And so like, if you're sort of indifferent between one or the other, then like you, you definitely want to encourage the community managers to have more properties. And so is that the end of a regional manager role, you know, for example, like, or, or what are the different career opportunities that, you know, that could potentially open up. And so I just think that in the next five years, you know, with, with things like AI, with the stuff that we're working on, with ways to really surface operational issues and then create solutions that optimize them. I just feel like, a property management organization would look very different, you know, in the next couple of years. Um, and that I think is going to be a really interesting uh, source of returns. And I think you're already starting to see where potentially M&A activity at the property management level, you know, portfolio consolidation, you know, might, might be coming into play there. And so, yeah, we're excited to see what happens there. Yeah, I'm less uh, optimistic, although I like to be optimistic, meaning when you say the next couple of years, the, the companies will look different. I think the industry moves too damn slow and it, it won't look that different. Now, to your point, like when investors are used to getting 18 to 21%, as long as they're getting sort of that range, then they're going to be cool, just sort of like, you know, um, set and forget, right? Now that leaves opportunity though, because if you did automate and uh, I love the way you're thinking about like, is there a different way to run it? Like property uh, RPMs handling more properties. We think that about our, our management staff. Instead of our management staff, meaning targeting five to eight employees that they're managing, could it be like 10 to 12, for example? And uh, it should be really based on expectations. So what do we really expect them to do, a manager? How much coaching or how, versus how much like individual contributor projects that, that sort of goes into like what their ratio can be. So where I'm going is if you if you did empower companies to go from giving 20% returns to investors to 28% returns because you said, hey, here's a new model you should try, they could clean up house. Like they could start to leverage that uh, to get more loans, to acquire other management companies, yeah. to expand faster or what have you. I don't think it'll be a wholesale change though is my point. I, I think there's plenty of opportunity there because just as you've seen, we've seen incredible amount of waste because people, the industry is, is uh, complacent and um, they haven't had the tough times recently. So they haven't had to really bear down and, you know, look for ways to be even uh, more efficient because people are cool with the, with the current returns. So I'm just saying I'm not as bullish, but it gives you, it, there is opportunity there for whoever wants to take it. Well, well, I think, I think especially at the mid market, right. Where, uh, you know, a lot of the competitive competitive advantage comes with, uh, having local market knowledge and ability to execute on some kind of strategy there, right? Like I think as, as they really focus in on, Hey, we're really great at crushing, you know, the Dallas market and we've got the staff to go and do that, you know, then maybe that would help, you know, expand some of their market share against, you know, the really large property managers who've got presence in every single state and signing up with them is basically, you know, in some ways I think, um, you, you know, they're, they're managing yours and also your competitors, right? And so you can't have just like these giant companies also manage. And I think that's where the space for the mid-market players, you know, could really come in. And so they've got to really answer, well, what's our competitive advantage? You know, is it technology? Is it ability to execute? Like, how can we be extra tactical here? And I think now more than ever, like it's easier to catch up, you know, because also technology costs, I think, are way down, you know, compared to the kind of infrastructure you would need in the past to be able to, you know, have something pretty sophisticated. Yeah, totally. Well, um, before we let you go, first one is, do you have any hot takes yourself? Is there anything where you're contrarian or, you know, go against the grain, you know, with your own thinking? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you can certainly follow us on our blog post, you know, on visibly.io slash blog. We think that there's just a, a, a different way that we could uh, enable property management firms to be more operational efficient. We think AI is going to play a really big role in there. Um, and so we hope that you follow along with us. Um, yeah, for, for our thoughts there. 
Is there any blog post right now that you would call controversial? Uh, controversial? I think the first one, yeah, it's time to reimagine, uh, reimagine how to execute uh, your multifamily operations. Awesome. Um, yeah, we put up a, I wouldn't even say it was a controversial blog post in our early days, and I got to be careful here, but we were like, uh, we called out one of the big tech companies in, in our space, and we just made a joke about them having more money than a third world country. And uh, when we went to then partner up with them to, to do an API connection, they said, yep, you got to take that down or we're not going to do it. And so uh, I thought it was more of just a fun, friendly joke, and they did not think it was that a friendly joke. Uh, but as long as you're in your current spot, Bryant, I love the idea of you guys taking a co some controversial stances and, uh, you know, while you can. And same with the guerrilla marketing. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, and then last thing, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you, that, uh, you want to get to real quick? Uh, yeah, you know, we're going to be on multifamily demo day. Uh, I encourage you to sign up if you want to check out our product. You'll also be at Optech. You just told us. So right. we'll be there. Optech to get it well. in person. Yep. And, uh, I think yeah. multifamily executive also in September. Awesome. Wow. You guys are, you're more uh, busy than we are on those. So <laughs> good job on that. Uh, all right, cool. Well, if, if people want to get in touch with you or get a demo of Visibly, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, you can go on our website, visibly.io, or uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn and now Threads. Are you on Threads, David? I'm not. Our new head of product, Alex, is though. Um, so better him than me, but yeah. on there. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're starting to come, come check us out, post a lot of things on multifamily and technology. Happy to engage anyone in conversations there. Yeah, I'm like uh, a, a social media ghost. Like I basically don't participate. I will talk about how valuable it is to do, and then I will not do anything about it. So uh, that's me. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks for being with us, Brian. Cool. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Nicole. Bye.